back like we never left. Let's it's go. Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero, a very exhausted Steph right now. After moving in this weekend, I'm sitting in a room of, of fully packed boxes. Guys, you have to excuse my background. I'll whip up something pretty interesting here. We'll see what uh, I can put together by, by next week's episodes. Alex, how are you doing? doing good man i don't have anything new just uh you know my bed in the background um and a trophy over here i'll be moving soon as well so new studios coming um in the Ooh. near future for both steph and i and hopefully a lot of wins coming with those new studios as well steph i had a pretty good week on my teams i haven't heard about how you did i saw in our dynasty league you've got both Dak and russell wilson absolutely cooking right now <laughs> in that super flex so i know you got the win there yep, yep. Um, how'd you do otherwise <laughs> pretty good pretty good i'm uh only lost one league. So I had the sweep last week, lost one this week, that. where I had Adams, who was out of the lineup. So we'll take that. We'll take our lumps here. Let's just jump into this, man. And before we do, guys, if you like what we do here on the show, please hit that subscribe button. That is huge for us. A like is always appreciated as well. Uh, if you have start sit questions, drop them in the comments. We try to get to as many as we can every single week. And uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter, sign into the DMs there if you want to make sure your question is seen because we're always up there on Twitter, dropping out hot takes, tweeting live reactions. You know the whole thing. But let's talk about that Seattle-Dallas game as a Ooh. dynasty owner in a super flex league with Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. That was one of the most fun games I've watched ever from a fantasy perspective. It was a shootout back and forth the entire time. And there's a lot fantasy-wise to break down here. We were talking about the Michael Gallup concerns for him. We called for the bounce back. He's back. And yep. it happened. 25.8 fantasy points for Gallup. Nine targets. Ridiculous. Caught six of them for 138 yards and an incredible deep touchdown. It was just fun all around. Back and forth. Uh, and... Alex, we, we've been talking about in the offseason how much we like all three Cowboys wide receivers, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb. I want to talk through some of the, the current paces of where these guys are at because right now our, our takes during the offseason are correct. Uh, and I think there's so much value in all, these, all three of these players. We were saying grab them at their ADPs on draft day. So Amari Cooper right now averaging 89 yards per game. That's a 1,400-yard pace. Michael Gallup averaging 79 yards a game, a almost 1,300-yard pace. Ooh. And then you have C.D. Lamb with 77 yards a game, a 1,200-yard pace. So all these guys could That's easily— That's absolutely ridiculous. If, if all remains constant with the way the Cowboys' defense has looked and in these boat race shootout game scripts, I mean, all the, all the Cowboys' wide receivers should easily be able to put up over 1,000 yards if all remains constant— yeah, all three of these guys have a ton of value, Steph. I mean, Amari Cooper is more of your alpha wide receiver one, has a high floor, has a high ceiling. CeeDee Lamb has proven to me that he has an incredibly high floor. I've started him all three weeks this season as my flex, and he's returned like 10, 11 points week one, first game as a pro. I was in a bind there. But then last week put up a nice 17-point performance. We get some punt return yards in there as well. But he had a really nice game in week two. And then this week, I mean, he was the number four receiver on the Cowboys in terms of yards but still put up five receptions for 65 yards. Just an incredibly high floor play. If CeeDee Lamb gets into the end zone, which we obviously expect him to do a couple of times this season, he's going to get you up into the you know, 20, 25-point range. And with the, the, the floor that he has, um, with a lot of his targets coming underneath, really high completion percentage passes, I've been really pleased with what we've seen from CeeDee Lamb. And then Michael Gallup is that boomer bust option. We saw the bust in week one and two. This week returns a huge performance. So, Steph, it's like literally if you were starting Dak Prescott, <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott, 
all three Cowboys receivers, and honestly, even <laughs> Dalton Schultz. You're probably winning games right now, which is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> we saw Cedric Wilson sneak in here for a five-catch, 107-yard, two-touchdown performance. I mean, huge game from Cedric Wilson. I don't expect that to continue. I know he might be a hot waiver wire pickup based on the big week. But in most weeks, if Dak's 57 attempts come down to a more realistic number, I think Wilson's targets are going to be the first thing to evaporate. But this Cowboys team is fun to watch. They're one of the teams that produces the most exciting game scripts week after week because they're always in these shootouts. But it's pretty cut and dry for me on the Dallas Cowboys side of the ball. I think you're obviously locking in Dak. You're locking in Zeke at the receiver spot. You're locking in Amari Cooper and Gallup and CeeDee Lamb are both incredibly valuable flex options or wide receiver two options, depending on what you need in a given week. Dalton Schultz might have some tight end value as well if you lost somebody earlier or you're having some trouble. Yeah, the tight ends are absolutely disgusting right now. The tight end won this week. Before the Monday night game, I know uh, we're recording this before Andrews and Kelsey play, but right now it's Jimmy Graham. So hold on for dear life at the tight end spot. (laughs) Dalton Schultz can can be played as a streamer. The star on top of the Christmas tree Mm. when we're talking about the Cowboys is that they let Dak Prescott throw the ball 57 times in this game. Had three touchdowns, two interceptions. So the volume is there. The efficiency may or may not be there, but they have the weapons to get it done. And they're going to compete. Ended up losing this one by a touchdown, 38-231. Next four games for Dallas. Browns, Giants, Cardinals, Washington. Keep rolling out all of your Cowboys. (laughs) It's going to be fun. Yeah, uh, and, and honestly, you mentioned Cedric Wilson there for a second. He could be, if, if one of these guys goes down with the matchups that they have, That's Cedric true. Wilson could be an interesting uh, waiver pickup, streamer type Deep name league. at the wide receiver spot. But let's talk about the Seahawks side of the ball. The Russell Wilson feast is just continuing. It's a all-day, all-you-can-eat, 24-7, always-open buffet that Russ is cooking right now. 40 <laughs> pass attempts in this shootout. The thing is, and I was looking at some of the numbers from 2019, 2018, we think that Russ is cooking and we're seeing that he is. He's actually only throwing two more attempts per game than 2019, but it's just that those two attempts happen to both be touchdown passes because the efficiency from a touchdown perspective has been insane. DK Metcalf out there has opened up this entire offense. He's a perfect skill match with Russell Wilson, in my opinion, and it's only going to get better. And... Tyler Lockett had a massive explosion game as well. Yeah, man. I mean, Russell Wilson, you mentioned the two extra attempts. To me, it's just incredible because we always think of Russell Wilson as this hyper-efficient quarterback. He's kept that efficiency up, but the difference is the the targets are more valuable. I mean, DK Metcalf this season is averaging, let me look at this number, 24.8 yards per catch, which is just absolutely insane. It's been incredible to see DK Metcalf produce week in and week out. Monster game in this one. Four catches for 110 yards and a touchdown. Should have been two if it weren't for that boneheaded play he had there in the second (laughs) half. Tyler Lockett, nine receptions for 100 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, Russell Wilson is just funneling the ball to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. It's incredibly difficult for defenses to cover both of these guys deep because they just have so much speed. I mean, Metcalf, eight targets for a guy who can take any play to the house. That's more than enough for him to get 100 yards and a touchdown. Um, each and every week. Tyler Lockett, the 13 targets, is great to see as well. I mean, we mentioned it before the season, Steph. If Russell Wilson did quote-unquote cook this year, both Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf could both be wide receiver ones, top 12 guys. Right now, they're both in the top five. So (laughs) we'll see what this Seahawks team can do. I mean, Russell's on pace right now for 75 touchdowns. I don't think we're going to see that happen. Oh, my goodness. Um, So when that touchdown number comes down a little bit, 
we'll see what happens with DK and Lockett. But if you drafted either of these guys as your wide receiver two, I think you might have just gotten yourself a wide receiver one and a player with incredible upside. Either way, I mean, Metcalf and Lockett, I don't even know which one I'd prefer at this point. I might slightly lean Lockett because the volume's a little bit higher. But DK definitely has incredible upside as well. So both of these guys are locked and loaded starters in your lineup. And let's see what these Seahawks can do, man. They've been incredibly fun to watch. Now with Chris Carson potentially missing uh, the next game or two, we could see Rush continue to cook here for the next few weeks. What's really happening with with the cooking that we keep talking about is that the Seahawks are throwing more than ever on first and second down. So that's really where it's coming from. Uh, Brett Coleman, one of the best, if you, if you haven't checked him out, he's one of the best uh, YouTube film uh, grinders out there. Go check out his channel. He has a whole video breaking down the changes in the Seahawks offense, and they're doing it on early downs, not putting Russell Wilson into tight spots on third down. And with DK Metcalf being able to stretch the defense, that's opening things up for Lockett underneath. Continue that efficiency. Are you looking at uh, Carlos Hyde as a waiver pickup? They're against Miami yeah. in week four. Oh, absolutely. I think you can do a lot worse than that. Yeah, I think if Hyde's out there and Carson is confirmed to miss this game, which it's looking right now like he's going to be out um, for one to two weeks, I'm fine to plug Hyde in. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to take that Carson role uh, completely. I think it might be split up between him and Travis Homer and some of these other guys, but I think he's going to have value and someone's going to get a touchdown. Yeah, if someone's going to get a touchdown in that backfield, my money would be on it um, to go to Hyde. But Steph, another thing that's happening for the Seahawks team right now, they're giving up a ton of points. I mean, week one against the Falcons, give up 25 points. Week two against the Patriots, 30 points. Week three against the Cowboys, 31 points. So if this defense keeps giving up points, they're going to have to keep chucking the ball a lot going to be interesting here in week four i mean the dolphins matchup is great because their defense isn't necessarily that good um, it's just going to be interesting if the seahawks jump out early to a lead and they're leading throughout the second half by a couple scores or you know by double digit points it's going to be really interesting to see if russell wilson keeps chucking the ball or if they just try to grind out the clock with carlos hyde in that one but again i'm starting dk metcalf tyler lockett russell wilson every single week and i'm willing to throw hyde in there this week as well if you get him on the waiver wire yeah, if you can throw a couple bucks on him, don't go nuts. Because as from what it looks like right now, Chris Carson should be back. It's a couple week plug and play guy. It looks like a knee strain, so not an ACL tear, not anything that's season ending, but may miss a few weeks. And the schedule for the Seahawks, just like Dallas, is so easy here, especially in the playoffs. Like entire season long, the Seahawks have a fantastic schedule for fantasy matchups. They have Miami, then Minnesota, then their bye week, then Arizona. San Francisco, Buffalo, LA, and then back to Arizona again. And then the, the playoffs, they got some other match, matchups in here that are pretty good. But in the fantasy playoffs, weeks 14, 15, 16, they have the Jets, the Washington football team, and the Rams. So should be high-flying matchups. They got the Giants in there too. So, and you just got to keep plugging the Seahawks. This is their year. They're, they're looking fantastic. And it looks like Russell Wilson is somehow, like he's gotten better and he's still peaking. And it's just proven that, he is the best deep ball thrower in the league. I think that's that's pretty clear at this point. Very hard to make a case against him. But, you know, another guy who's cooking is everybody's favorite, Josh Allen. The Stallion. And it, it's insane, man. A crazy shootout uh, that it turned into. It, it didn't look that way. It looked like the uh, Bills were going to run away with this one. But against the Rams, the Rams went on a comeback trail. Jared Goff got the ball moving and... Brought it back, um, but the Bills pulled this one out, thirty-five to thirty-two. Josh Allen, ridiculous. Kids pretty much reinvented his entire throwing motion, all of his footwork, and it's just turned into this 
downfield accurate passer. Like he looks great. He's thrown a lot of touchdowns. He still gives you that rushing floor, uh, the rushing touchdowns as well. He had 33 attempts, completed 24 of them for 300 yards, uh, four touchdowns. He did throw one interception, but is looking great. He's giving you everything you wanted. We had a take that looking back on it, we'll, we'll see if all remains constant. We said, hey, does Josh Allen have top five upside? We said like, he could. We like the other quarterbacks. We um, said he had top you know, six upside, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And that's that might be what we're seeing here. I don't see this offense slowing down anytime soon, the way they're looking. Uh, even with Zach Moss out of the game, Devin Singletary had a pretty good game for those who plugged him in in fantasy uh, with Moss out. 13 carries for 71 yards, so five and a half yards per attempt. And then through the air, uh, had four receptions and 50 yards as well. Is Stephon Diggs, though, the reason for this improvement? Because he has been absolutely dominant. Six targets, caught four of them for, for 49 yards, but didn't give you a touchdown as well. Seems like he's making up for a lot of the, the inaccuracies. It's like Josh Allen's improvement and then uh, better weapons coming in, a true alpha receiver to come and take that over. We always love uh, talk about Diggs' uh, route running ability. He's just so crisp, and you see him getting open, creating separation, uh, and Allen hitting him deep. So... Uh, what are your thoughts for, for the Bills here? Is this kind of, you know, hey, we're seeing a lot of good things. Let's just assume this is going to happen season long. Are you concerned for them at all? Uh, with John Brown looking like he's going to miss a game or two? I think, I think they're going to slow down a little bit. I mean, I don't expect Josh Allen to throw for 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards this year. But I think Stephon Diggs is a clear catalyst to that improvement. I think Allen's done a lot to improve his own game. Stephon Diggs certainly helps, though. Steph, we've talked about it before. In terms of pure talent, not fantasy football, you know, which includes situation and opportunity and all that stuff. We've talked about pure talent as Stephon Diggs being a top 10 wide receiver in the league. Anytime you get a player like that who is as smooth with his routes as Stephon Diggs and can create that separation, it makes things so much easier for a quarterback. Josh Allen came into the league a little bit raw, didn't have a clear number one receiver. I know John Brown was good last season, but he hasn't had that. Now that he has Diggs and Brown, who is banged up and Beasley underneath, we see what Josh Allen is able to do. So, you know, no, I don't think he's going to keep up this pace. But yes, I think Josh Allen um, is going to continue to be a top five play on any given week moving forward. So I, I love what the Bills have done this season, obviously. And Stephon Diggs himself, I mean, is the number four wide receiver in all of fantasy, averaging over 20 points per game in PPR format. So look, I know John Brown is hurt. Um, if he misses time, I think Cole Beasley could be an interesting waiver wire pickup because, I mean, think about it. If Josh Allen's going to keep throwing the ball more, who else? It's not all going to go to Stephon Diggs. I know they have, you know, Tyler Croft and Dawson Knox and some of these tight ends, but I don't expect them to be incredibly involved either. So Cole Beasley in this game, he had six catches for 100 yards on seven targets. If they continue to be throwing the ball this much, Cole Beasley could be very interesting in PPR. Singletary, you're right, had a good game. It's just interesting. I don't think Singletary's upside is there this season because Josh Allen not only is this top five quarterback, but he's also their goal line back. You know, anytime yeah, was it, they was get, it ever there for singles, really? Like it, 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 it wasn't. seems like that's kind of what we always knew he was. No, it wasn't. And you look at this game and in their red zone opportunities. I mean, Josh Allen had a one yard touchdown run. He also had a, a one yard touchdown pass, a three yard touchdown pass, a four yard touchdown pass, and a three yard touchdown pass. <laughs> so all of their touchdowns came from inside of the five. Not one went to Devin Singletary. It was four touchdown passes for Josh Allen and a touchdown run. I think we're going to continue to see that moving forward, especially when Zach Moss comes back. If anything goes to the running back in there, it's going to be Zach Moss. So be happy if you started Singletary. You got a solid RB2 performance, but I just don't think he's going to be a top 20 guy this season based on what we're seeing. 
Yeah, it might be a guy that you can sell high knowing that Moss might come back. I don't know if people might might not be factoring that in, throw him in there as part of a package deal, try to see if you can get some name value, some draft capital value off of singles. Anything else to add here on the, this Bills mafia that is just rolling right now? No, Steph, I want to switch over to another guy that was going in that Singletary range in drafts, but someone who has actually gone the complete other way, and it's Kareem Hunt. This is someone who's upside looks bigger than it was before it looks like his standalone value in a shared backfield um, you know is higher than it was in draft season and I mean Kareem Hunt for the Cleveland Browns is absolutely eating so far this season this looks like a true 1a 1b timeshare in Cleveland I mean you look at week one they got absolutely boat raced by the Baltimore Ravens I think that was just kind of a throwaway game for them I think you know the Ravens would kick the socks off of the Browns nine times out of 10. Sorry, Steph. I think you'd admit that too, though, even as a Browns fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you kind of throw out that game. They came out flat. And then since then, I mean, Kareem Hunt has been right there with Nick Chubb in terms of carries. And these are games where the Browns are leading. They're owning the game script. They're in a situation where they need to burn out the clock. And it's not just Nick Chubb out there getting 20 carries, you know, five yards per run and then busting off a big one wearing down that defense. Kareem Hunt's getting a lot of usage as well. And this one, they dominated the Washington football team. Nick Chubb saw 19 carries. Um, Kareem Hunt saw 16. So he's not just this passing downs back, third down back PPR guy. He's getting a ton of run on the ground as well. Steph, what's your outlook for Kareem Hunt? Is he a guy you're going to continue to plug in moving forward? I think he's a low-end RB2. I mean, this was the worst possible game script for Kareem Hunt. We saw Kareem Hunt's usage the highest in that game in Baltimore uh, where he had uh, six targets through the air. So still getting all the air volume. Nick Chubb only had one target against Washington. So they're not really utilizing him through the air. I know he's had, you know, two, three target games before, but it's going to be Hunt in those situations. And so in a game where the Browns were leading, they could have just handed it off to Chubb to run up the middle time and time again and just eat out the clock. They did not do that. It was pretty much a 50-50 split. Hunt was out there on 44% of the snaps. So Maybe a little bit more 60-40, 50-50. But, uh, I mean, you're happy with Chubb if you got him. You're happy with Hunt if you got him. And I think Hunt, even though he isn't a timeshare, he is a talented enough player, still getting the opportunity. Like you said, 16 attempts, had three targets, caught two of them for a touchdown in this game. You got to keep plugging him in there. You, you, we just can't look at him as this you know, backup or number two. It's essentially a 1A, 1B situation as far as I'm concerned. And I'm willing to, you know, go all in on that being the case the rest of season. Baker barely threw at all in this game, only 23 pass attempts. So same thing that we saw with Kirk Cousins under Stefanski, the limited passing volume. We're seeing that here. All the narratives with Stefanski coming to Cleveland have come true at least three weeks into the season. There was this big run heavy narrative with Stefanski and you hit it right on the head, Steph. Kareem Hunt is getting so much work that I would take him over a lot of other workhorse backs. I mean, Kareem Hunt right now, 13 carries a game and three receptions a game. And again, those reception totals are low because the one game they got boat raced by Baltimore, but outside of that, they haven't been in these pass-heavy game scripts. Steph, I'm going to toss this up to you, though. PPR, would you rather have Kareem Hunt or Todd Gurley? This one's easy for me, and it's Kareem Hunt. Yeah, it's Kareem Hunt. It's Kareem Hunt. We need to talk about Todd Gurley. I think we will going into next week's matchups. But I'm, I'm getting pretty close to saying he's he's fully washed. Um, yeah. Brian Hill is coming for his job, and it's it's not looking good, uh, he, even though he did have a nice little touchdown run. Uh, but Kareem Hunt, man, did you see the one-handed catch? Uh, that could have been a touchdown if it ended up being like a clean play, but great ball skills by Hunt 
on that play. I want to do a couple more here. Kareem Hunt or another workhorse back. David Montgomery in Chicago. I'm still taking Hunt there. I think I'm going to go Montgomery now with Cohen out um, and Nick Foles getting this offense up and moving, but yep. it's close. I, I'm not going to debate you too hard on that. I am going Monty, though. And then I'll also take Kareem Hunt over this last guy, Mark Ingram. I think you're going to be with me on that yep. one, Steph. Ingram's in a bit of a timeshare on his own. So, look, it looks like if you had Kareem Hunt in your draft as kind of this, like, RB3 with huge potential, if Nick Chubb goes out, you actually have yourself an every-week starter with that same upside on a weekly basis. So, Steph... Let's go ahead and move on to a couple other running backs that we're a little bit concerned about. You know, I didn't want to throw Hunt up against these two guys because for me and you both, I think we're both going to take these two players over Kareem Hunt just because of the usage they've been getting um, and the draft capital you had to spend on them. It's Kenyon Drake and Joe Mixon. So I'm holding on to Kenyon Drake and Joe Mixon right now. Um, Both have been kind of frustrating to start out the season. A ton of volume, but not a lot of efficiency and not a lot of touchdowns. So Steph, between Drake and Mixon, are you concerned? I want you to give me a scale of 1 to 10. First on Kenyon Drake, 1 being not concerned at all, 10 being extremely concerned. Where are you at with Drake? Drake, I think I'm at about a f- 3 or 4. Not really concerned. And what that really comes down to for me is the touchdown volume. Drake was had you know 8 touchdowns, essentially averaging 1 per game. I know they did come in some boom weeks last year when he was with the Cardinals when he switched over from Miami. But... Kyler Murray's had one rushing touchdown, one or two rushing touchdowns per game so far this season. I don't think that's going to be something that we can just expect every single week. I think there will be some regression on the ground for Kyler in the red zone, and I have no reason why that wouldn't go to Drake when he's getting 70% of snaps, you know, 15 to 20 carries on the ground a week, a few targets a week. I have been disappointed by Drake's pass catching volume. Uh, That isn't something that I really didn't see coming. The way they were using Drake in 2019 was getting him open on screens, getting him open on checkdowns. But with DeAndre Hopkins out there as an option uh, that Murray can look to pretty much every single play and nine times out of 10, it seems like he's going to be open. Um, Really haven't needed a ton of the checkdown options. And then Kyler's been able to, I mean, he looks so good on the ground. Right now, had incredible juke uh, on the goal line, uh, kind of beating his man to the outside and doing a little uh, move on him. It was just great to see. Love that uh, uh, to watch from a football-only perspective. Sucks if you're a Drake owner. But I think things are going to change for the better. As the season goes on, don't overreact on Drake. Uh, I'm not selling him yet. One thing I'm saying about Drake is I'm trying to buy Kenyon Drake low right now because he hasn't killed – People that drafted him in the first round, I mean, he's only averaging 11.6 fantasy points per game in PPR format, so that doesn't kill you. I mean, if you started him, he's fine, but you're definitely incredibly disappointed. And when I look at Kenyon Drake, I mean, he's averaging 18 carries per game. You're right, the receiving workload is a little bit low, but he's still getting a couple targets a game, which helps. Only the one touchdown, and this last week against Detroit put up a single-digit fantasy football performance. So for me, the Drake owner, if they were going into week three already disappointed, and they're like, all right, Kenyon Drake, this is your time to prove me prove to me what you can do in a good matchup against the Detroit Lions, and he underperformed, this is where you go in and buy Kenyon Drake low because people are going to be disappointed, and he is getting the volume, and things are going to turn around. I mean, listen to the next five games for the Arizona Cardinals. They have the Panthers, terrible run defense. They have the New York Jets, the Dallas Cowboys, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Miami Dolphins. So those are going to be high-volume games. I think those are all going to have incredibly high over-unders. The Cardinals are a team that love 
you know, to, to run this fast pace of play and score a bunch of points on their own. Their defense isn't necessarily anything special. So I think Kenyon Drake's going to bounce back in a big way. And the second he has one of these big games, the buy low window is going to be over. And right now, I'm telling you, people are going to be low on Kenyon Drake. They're not just going to sell him for nothing, but they're going to be low. Listen to some of the guys that have more fantasy points than Kenyon Drake through three weeks. This is more just for fun because it shows you how fantasy football is incredibly unpredictable. Like, welcome to week four when Miles <laughs> Gaskin, Naheem Hines, oh. Mike Davis, Daryl Henderson, Jarek McKinnon, and Rex Burkhead no. all have more fantasy points than Kenyon Drake. So go in, make some offers, put some feelers out there and see, you know, what the, the Kenyon Drake uh, manager is willing to do. And maybe you'll get a, a stud stud running back for the rest of the season. And at worst case, I think he's a he's an RB2, a high end RB2. So, Steph, let's really quickly flip over to Joe Mixon on that scale of one to ten. If I was a three or four for Drake, I'm like a six or seven now for Joe Mixon goes into this game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm really hoping for a bounce back here. And yes, he's getting volume as well. But that offensive line looks absolutely atrocious. It's Steph, horrible. where's your concern level for Joe Mixon on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, it's it's about that 6-7 range. He's still a workhorse back in the NFL, extremely talented. It's just that O-line. Joe Burrow took eight sacks in this game. I have concerns for him long-term, his health this season. They need to put some protection around Joe Burrow and, and allow things to get going on the ground for Joe Mixon. And it was good to see over the first two games – Joe Mixon was under a 60% snap share. This game, he was at 71% in a pretty close matchup, a game that ended in a tie, had 17 attempts for 49 yards, only 2.9 carries on the ground. That's where we're seeing that O-line really dig into his production. He's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage, trying to make plays from there. It's just, it's gross to see. It almost reminds you of like Le'Veon Bell last year, where it's just like, he he looked good. He was making guys miss, but just wasn't able to get upfield because he's had four guys on him. By the time he gets the ball in the backfield, he did see three targets Mixon did uh, in this game, caught two of them for 18, I'm sorry, 16 yards. So you just got to keep plugging Mixon in. It's, it's concerning. It's gross. The Gio Bernard stuff is like, it's not, that's not really the source of my concern. It really comes down to the O-line in this offense. But as a guy that believes in Joe Burrow, both for fantasy and non-fantasy, being able to improve as the season goes on, I think Joe Mixon's going to be a benefactor of that if this offense can get going. We'll see if they can do it in week four against Jacksonville. This this will probably be the last kind of like make or break game for me. It's the last straw. It, it really is. If, if Mixon goes into Jacksonville and puts up, you know, sub 10 points, that concern level is going to be at a nine or 10. Yeah, I agree. And it's a combination of factors. Like you said, it's the offensive line is total trash. And yes, they can turn it around. We saw Joe Mixon himself do it last season. But to me, I'm a little bit more worried about Giovanni Bernard. I mean, Bernard's averaging four receptions a game right now, where Joe Mixon's only averaging, you know, a little over two. So to me, if Joe Mixon, even with the struggles, you know, he's getting the carries even, but even with the struggles on the ground, 3.2 yards per carry so far this season, if he had a game with, you know, 50 yards on the ground, but he also had four catches for 30 yards you know he's getting you a much higher floor than we're seeing now it's just been a, a big problem <laughs> in a variety of ways like no <laughs> touchdowns no receiving work and no efficiency on the ground and without those three things you're just not going to be a good fantasy football running back those are three areas where we thought we would see Mixon improve this year we thought the line would be better than it was last season we thought the receiving work would be there because he can do it it's not a matter of skill it's almost like Josh Jacobs last year we knew Josh Jacobs was a good pass catcher but for whatever reason Jalen Richard kept getting the work that's how it feels in Cincinnati this year with Joe Mixon and Gio Bernard and the defense is bad so they're going to be in these negative game scripts 
And if Gio Bernard's the one out there in those passing situations, those third down situations, it's going to be tough for Joe Mixon to get going. So I think we could see, you know, some improvement from the O-line. Hopefully we start to see Mixon out there on those passing downs. And a touchdown or two will totally change things for Mixon as well. But right now I'm much more panicked about Joe Mixon. And I don't feel confident enough to go out and buy Joe Mixon right now unless someone's giving him away. And if you have him, you can't really – you can't do anything except hold. I mean, if you trade him, you're not yeah. going to get anything for him. Um, and you don't want to bench him. I think you just have to hold and play him and give him a couple more weeks and see what happens. Um, and, and you're kind of stuck. <laughs> but let's move on now, Steph, to someone who whose buy low window is probably over, and that's Keenan Allen, someone who – you might actually be selling high right now, but I'll kick it over to you in a second for what you think we should do with Keenan Allen moving forward. Steph, I mean, 19 targets 19 from targets. Justin Herbert in this game. And that's one thing we both said before the season. I don't want to take a victory lap. We're wrong on a bunch of stuff as well. So, But this is one thing we said. We said if Tyrod Taylor's the quarterback, we are out on Keenan Allen through one week of the year with Tyrod Taylor. That looked to be the case. Justin Herbert comes in and we see a better game from Keenan last week. Seven catches for 96 yards. This week, we see the absolute explosion for 13 catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown on 19 targets. Dude, what is going on <laughs> in L.A.? What do we do with Keenan Allen? To me, like, I'm back in. If Justin, if they name Justin Herbert the go-forward starter regardless of Tyrod's health, which I think Justin Herbert's played well enough to be that guy, if you bought low on Keenan Allen after a couple weeks, you might have just got yourself a top 15 guy rest of the season. You're exactly right, man. And it's pretty clear, like, Herbert – he's going to throw to the guy who's the most open and it's pretty much always going to be Keenan Allen. We've seen what Keenan Allen is <laughs> as an NFL player at this point, 132 yards. He got the touchdown, uh, pretty deep touchdown too. looked fantastic. And with Herbert, you know, I, I'm not necessarily head over heels in love with how Herbert has looked. He's making these rookie mistakes. He looks strong. Like I'm not going to say he looks bad by any means, but the volume is where all the value comes 49 in. 49 attempts. 49 attempts. I just looked through all of Tyrod Taylor's game logs ever, and he's never threw the ball 49 times in a game. So you take that into perspective of like, yeah, Keenan Allen definitely is back to where he was with Phillip Rivers, like this high-end wide receiver too, or mid, mid, mid to high-end wide receiver too, with upside on every given week. He's going to get some touchdowns. He's going to see a ton of volume. So a PPR machine, love him in PPR. He's right back there. So I'm not necessarily like all in because I don't know. I mean, I hope that Justin Herbert is a starter season long. We've also seen weird things from this Chargers coaching staff where like Josh Kelly is out touching the Austin Eckler and like, like I don't have full confidence that Tyrod Taylor is not going to be a starter again at some point this season, um, which where that's where some of the hesitation lies. I'm sure if I'm the Keenan Allen owner, owner, you can try to get him out of my hands. But as long as Herbert's in the game, Keenan Allen is a weekly starting option at wide receiver. Yeah, and we talk about, you know, I would have told you that Tyrod Taylor hasn't thrown the ball 49 times in a game, but we look at the last three seasons for Phillip Rivers in L.A., and he only threw it more than 49 times twice. So Justin Herbert out here in his second career start <laughs> already throwing the ball that much. I know the defense is good, so, you know, to be determined on what the game scripts are going to look like, but they're willing to let him chuck the ball and chuck it frequently, you know, maybe learn through getting thrown in the fire and making mistakes, but he's looked good. I mean, 330 yards in this game, a high completion percentage as well. Actually, the completion percentage wasn't that great. 35 for 49 isn't terrible, though. 
Uh, actually, wait, what's 35 and 49? Isn't that like 67%? Okay, so yeah. it is pretty good. My math's a little off here today, Steph, <laughs> but um, really solid game from Justin Herbert all around. I can't. I just can't imagine Tyrod Taylor getting back out there. But Steph, one last thing I want to hit on with Keenan before we move on. We mentioned if you bought low, congratulations, you probably you know got a great value. Is there a world where you're willing to sell high on Keenan Allen right now and see what you can get? Because look, is he going to get 19 targets again this season? I doubt it. It's a rookie quarterback. We mentioned the defense is good. So what are the game scripts going to look like? I, I think this is could be Keenan Allen's best game of the year. Is this the time to cash in or are you just willing to ride it out? To me, that comes down to roster construction. Um, if you could move a guy like Keenan Allen and get another wide receiver with similar value. Allen or Diggs? Oh, man. I'd probably go Diggs. Rest of season. Diggs. Keenan Allen or Juju? Juju. Keenan Allen or Robert Woods? Robert Woods. <laughs> Last one, Keenan or Allen Robinson? Allen Robinson. So, and, and there's been things that we could talk about each of those players and how their situations have changed. Like for Juju, Deontay Johnson's out. For yep. Allen Robinson, Nick Foles Robinson, is now the quarterback. Foles, so, yeah. like, there's there's things that are shifting constantly for all those players that you just threw out there. The range of outcomes for Keenan Allen is now massive, and he has a ceiling that didn't exist in week yeah. one. Um, so I'm I'm not trying to sell high. I think I'm Very holding. Fair. I think I'm holding him because Keenan Allen was going so late in drafts, at least most drafts that I saw in redraft leagues. You probably have him as your wide receiver three, maybe a deep wide receiver two. At that value, it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to go out and get a DK Metcalf at this point. You're not gonna be able to get Juju. Right. So just keep plugging Keenan Allen in there. He's a weekly start as long as Herbert's yeah. in. Keep him and be happy with what you're seeing on the field. I'm with you. I, I'm with you, Steph. But let's go ahead and move on. One last, you know, big time guy we want to talk about from this past week. It's Mike Davis. Mike Davis came out and had the Christian McCaffrey role. No, he <laughs> was not Christian McCaffrey in this game, but he was the workhorse. I mean, 13 carries for 46 yards. And then this is the big one through the air, eight receptions on nine targets for 45 yards and a touchdown. Very, very strong performance in CMC's absence. The clear workhorse in the backfield. There wasn't this Curtis Samuel getting a ton of carries. Um, Reggie Bonifant didn't come back to get 40% of the work off the practice squad. So, Steph, what are you doing with Mike Davis? Is he a weekly starter right now until Christian McCaffrey uh, he comes He is back? in PPR for sure. Any any sort of PPR, half-point PPR, you got to just plug Mike Davis in there. He had 23 fantasy points on the week, 13 attempts for 46 yards, only 3.5 yards per carry. So not hyper-efficient on the ground, but we were never expecting that from Mike Davis. But, I mean, nine targets cannot be ignored. Christian McCaffrey wasn't even getting nine targets when he was out there in the game. I think part of that comes down to scheme. I think part of that comes down to, you know, the game script that they were in against LA with a front seven with Joey Bosa, um, you know, the having to, to check down. But now that's two weeks where Mike Davis has seen close to 10 targets. And so that's a ton of PPR value that you're going to see. Uh, and actually had a touchdown through the air Mike Davis did in this game. So he's like a safe RB2 with upside if he gives you that touchdown on the week. Yeah. So he's a flex if you, if you have, I agree. Um, you know, two other good running backs or a deep RB2 if you need it. Here's the thing. I think the touchdown is nice in this game, but considering what we've seen from the Panthers so far this season, I think the volume for Mike Davis was actually low if he is going to have that workhorse role. I mean, just looking at Teddy's pass attempts so far this year, week one against the Raiders, 34 attempts. Week two against Tampa Bay, 42 attempts. In this game, Teddy only had 28 attempts. Mike Davis had over a 30% target share in this game. <laughs> wow. That's the kind of target share we were seeing CMC have. We know Teddy Bridgewater, too, loves to check the ball down. He's going to take it over the top with Robbie and DJ Moore. 
um, when the defense gives him those opportunities. But you look at the Panthers' upcoming schedule. We've talked about it with several teams. Everyone has great schedules, apparently. Everyone. Because the next two games for the Panthers with CMC on IR are the Cardinals and the Falcons. I expect them to have plenty of pass attempts in both of those games. I expect them to fall behind early and need to put up, you know, 28, 35 points if they want a chance to win. So I expect Mike Davis to continue to have an incredibly high floor and to get carries as well. If he gets 10 to 12 carries and can get, you know, 8 to 10 targets, he's a lock for an RB2. So I'm with you. I'm happy to plug him in as my RB2 in a PPR league. If it's half PPR, I'll throw him in my flex and I'll be incredibly happy as well. Yeah, you know what's going to happen in week five in that Atlanta matchup is Atlanta's going to go up big early. And then Mike Davis is going to be in there on those two-minute drills, on those those last two comeback drives, and he's going to see like five targets in each one. You heard it here first. But let's talk about some waiver names, guys that we like that um, are worth bringing up, guys who had some breakouts. Uh, Alex, I'll let you start it off here. Steph, big game last night. We haven't, you know, we'll hit more on the on the Packers and Saints and their go forward values here later on in the week on our our Week Four preview pod, but. In this Sunday night football game, we saw Alan Lazard go for six catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets Ooh. in Devontae <laughs> Adams' absence. Steph, Alan Lazard, are you willing to pick him up on the waiver wire knowing that Devontae Adams is either going to be back this week or his return is going to come here in the near future? I mean, if you're desperate at wide receiver, you kind of have to. So, um, And if you need some upside, why not take Alan Lazard? He really is, and I'm kicking myself because in that 14-team keeper league that we're in, shout out to all the guys in Sunday's Finest, I didn't have Alan Lazard, and I wish I would have had him as a handcuff Mm -hmm. type of option. Very rarely do you want to handcuff a wide receiver, but in a deep league with a guy with so much value and target share and touchdown ability and, you know, premium that he's going to get on every reception with the yardage and the yard after the catch, like, you got to love whoever's in that Adams role, whoever's Aaron Rodgers wide receiver one is going to be um, I don't mind if you're if you're an Adams owner go out and get Lazard maybe not this week after an explosion even if you're not um, <laughs> even if you're not but if you're an Adams owner you got to make sure you get Lazard because if anything happens you want to be able to make up for that value right away so it's it's very rarely do you want to handcuff wide receivers I think this is actually one of those few times like Tyreek Hill Miko Hardman uh, Adams might be uh, handcuffed by Alan Lazard yeah, I mean, I'm willing to pick him up. There's a couple other names I think I like more this week. We'll get into one of them here in a second. But, Steph, I'm going to play a little trivia with you. I know Alan Lazard had the big performance this week, 6 for 146 and a touchdown, 26 fantasy points. I'm going to ask you who you think has more fantasy points through three weeks of the season um, overall. Is it Alan Lazard or the first name I'll throw out there? Tyler Boyd, who has more fantasy points in PPR. Ooh, I know Tyler Boyd's had 20 points the last two weeks. I'll go with Boyd, but I'm not confident. It's Lazard. Wow. How about this one? Alan Lazard or Robbie Anderson? Oh, man. I feel like you're not asking me this unless it is Lazard, but I'm going to be blown away if it's if it's not Robbie. It's Robbie on that one. A couple more here. Alan Lazard or Robert Woods? Robert Woods. It's Alan Lazard, man. Alan Lazard's the wide receiver nine right now in PPR. Absolutely ridiculous. He had the blow-up performance this week. Last week, I mean, had 7.5 fantasy points. Not too great. But in week one, four catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown. So even with Adams out there, I think Lazard is a flex guy. And then if Adams does miss time, you have yourself a locked-in wide receiver too. But, Steph, I want to talk about another wide receiver that I'm taking over Lazard, and it's Justin Jefferson. He's only 33% rostered right now, but he just went for an absolute explosion performance with Kirk Cousins against the Tennessee Titans. 
seven catches for 175 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Steph, are you rushing to the waiver wire to pick up Jefferson this week? I don't know if I'm rushing to the waiver wire, but if I need a wide receiver, I'm willing to put some decent fab on JJ. You know, rookie wide receivers can kind of be hit or miss. I don't typically like rookie wide receivers on my roster. I don't draft them unless they're a super high upside guy. You know, we see some exceptions like CD Lamb. Uh, we liked LaVisca Chenault as you know your last pick flyer. Just you plug in there as a gadget player. He's going to see volume, kind of an ambiguous receiving core. Jerry Judy's kind of been taking over as the, the X wide receiver with Sutton out. But with Justin Jefferson, what he proved in this game, what I think we all kind of needed to see is that he's more than just a slot guy. Um, he really is more of like a Adam Thielen or even like a Juju Smith-Schuster where they can play in the slot um, but can also line up everywhere else on the field and be effective. Justin Jefferson in this game played on 78% of the snaps, saw nine targets. He's a clear two. Uh, his, his, the last two weeks, he had three targets. So going from three to nine, um, it was great to see. He caught seven of those balls for 175 yards and a touchdown, 30 fantasy points on the week. I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, Justin Jefferson is going to be a weekly starting option, but could be like an Alan Lazard type guy where um, he's a flex that you can plug in. You know, maybe he'll get you around that 10 point number. You know, he had 7.4 in week two against Indianapolis. Um, you know, and the way that the Minnesota defense has looked, I think they're going to be in more pass heavy game scripts than we've seen them over the last couple of years, especially with Kubiak in and Stefanski now in Cleveland. You can make the case uh, of why Justin Jefferson needs to be picked up off the waiver wire. I'm just not fully sold. Um, and I'm probably going to put, you know, 10, 15, 20% of my fab. I think there's other guys out there that are going to be willing to put 30, 40, 50%. Yeah, I, I like what I saw. And to me, you know, he's a rookie. And we just talked about Stefan Diggs earlier as being a top 10 talent. But Justin Jefferson right now is the Stefan Diggs of this season. And last year, Stefan Diggs wasn't consistent. He was hit or miss. But he ended up being wide receiver 24 in full PPR, low end wide receiver 2. Jefferson's a rookie, and he's got a lot of upside as an NFL player in his career, but he's not going to come in and be right where Diggs was. Still a low-volume offense. Cousins had 251 yards and three touchdowns in this game on only 16 completions. So to me, I think Justin Jefferson could be a wide receiver three for the rest of the season. Um, he's the clear two there in Minnesota. The defense has been very bad this season, so I think they are going to have to throw the ball a lot, especially in the second half. They come out with this run-heavy approach every single game and then they have to scrap it and pass the ball in the second half because they're down by 20 points or they're in a very competitive game like they were here in this one Tennessee came out and punched him in the mouth in the third quarter and they had to come out and throw it so look I think Jefferson's a worthy waiver wire pickup um, he's someone if, if I have to plug him in to my flex I mean we're coming up on bye weeks here soon I think week five is the first week that teams have bye weeks there's been a lot of injuries as well Jefferson's one of those guys you can pick up Keep him on your bench. And when you have bye weeks, you have injuries, plug him in your flex. Hope it's one of his pop weeks. Um, you can do a lot worse at the position. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm willing to throw 20 25% of my fab on Justin Jefferson. Um, I don't know if that's going to get it done. Uh, but if you're in a desperation spot, I think you could go up to as high as 30. I, you know, I wouldn't do it. It all depends on roster construction. But I think he's going to be a contributor for the rest of the year. And you, know, you talk about, like, the game scripts that the Vikings are going to be in. Listen to this upcoming schedule. Houston, Seattle, Atlanta, then their bye week. And Everyone then it's Green has good Bay. schedules, man. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to whoever put together the schedule for 2020 because after that bye week, they then have Green Bay, Detroit, Chicago, and then Dallas. So I think wow. almost all those games are going to 
need to be shootouts by necessity because this Viking secondary isn't stopping anybody. Um, so sneaky pick, Justin Jefferson could be very interesting this season. Um, could easily like his range of outcomes. He could be a wide receiver too. Uh, if things break his way and he has a true breakout, um, you know, we, we all know he's a great player. We'd love him at LSU. Absolutely. Now, Steph, I want to talk about some running backs. I want to throw four names out there and I want you to put them in order of who you would rather pick up off the waiver wire this week. It's Jeff Wilson on the 49ers, Brian Hill, Miles Gaskin, and Rex Burkhead. Which one of those guys is the most appealing to you right now? And let's rank them one through four. Again, Jeff Wilson, Brian Hill, Miles Gaskin, and Rex Burkhead. Deeper names here, but I think there might be some value. All right, so my number one, believe it or not, is Miles Gaskin. And I'll oh. tell you why. I'll He's tell a workhorse. Speak- That's why. Exactly. Exactly. A workhorse seeing high volume, pass catching work, goal line work, and getting carries on the ground. In the, on the Thursday night game against Jacksonville, Gaskin played 76% of snaps, had 22 rushes for 66 yards. So brutal uh, three yard per carry behind this, this Dolphins O-line. Um, that's not going to break out so, you know, big holes that we might see Jeff Wilson run through. Um, but he's able to get the job done and then caught all five of his targets for 29 yards as well. So if you get the touchdown in a game like that for Gaskin, um, where they did give him a couple goal line works, just wasn't able to punch it in there. If he can come away with those, you're going to be really happy with Gaskin. As an RB2, he's my top waiver wire pickup of the week. We want to find guys that could break out to be season-long starts. And we looked at guys that you were able to get really, really late, like James Robinson. I put Miles Gaskin in that same tier of, of guys that you can grab for pretty much free and plug them in as weekly RB2, especially if you had, you know, Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey or any other of these other a number of these other running backs that are hurt right now. Um, love Miles Gaskin. So he's my number one. Are you with me on that, Alex? Yeah, I am. I mean, Gaskin is averaging five receptions a game right now. So even though the efficiency is is not great, if you're getting five receptions and 30 yards a game, which is what he's averaging through the air, that's an eight-point baseline. He doesn't have to do anything on the ground. And in a PPR league, a deep league as an RB2, if you're getting an eight-point baseline with no rushing, that's incredibly valuable. And when you factor in the, the, the rushing numbers as well, I mean, nine attempts in week one, seven in week two, and just 22 here in week three, I was pulling my hair out because I'm going against Miles Gaskin. And our home league and he had 22 carries and I'm like who knew Miles Gaskin was a workhorse so if he's getting that kind of run on the ground you're gonna have an incredibly high floor for someone you picked up for essentially free on waivers I think by now he might require 20-25% of fab because people are going to be looking at that box score as well Um, but for someone who's not efficient you can do a lot worse Steph the one thing that concerns me about Gaskin is the goal line work they, he did get a couple goal line carries in this game, but they have the the ultimate crammer, as I like to call him, Jordan Howard. <laughs> he just crams into his O-line. He has a, an incredible stat line this year, Jordan Howard does. 16 attempts, 12 yards, three touchdowns. So I don't know why you go sign a free agent like Jordan Howard, pay him a few million bucks to come in and only play inside the five-yard line, but that's what they did. So the touchdown upside's not quite going to be there with Gaskin. He doesn't necessarily have you know, this big play potential and ability, but as a pure volume floor play. If you look at targets, two running backs on the year, number one, Alvin Kamara, number two, Ezekiel Elliott, number three, Aaron Jones, number four, Mike Davis, and then number five, Miles Gaskin. So no way, dude, he has more targets than Eckler. He has more targets than Eckler. Uh, 
Well, I guess they're tied. So, so Gaskin, Eckler, and Rex Burkhead are all tied with Miles Sanders right behind them. So, look, if wow. you look at like a guy like, let's say, Todd Gurley, a guy that you had to probably get third, fourth round, you were hoping for all this pass-catching volume to come his way. You knew the efficiency probably wasn't going to be there on the ground because his days, those L.A. days for Gurley are over. You're essentially able to get a guy with the same value as Todd Gurley off the waiver wire. So just try to think about it from that perspective. Um, I like Miles Gaskin, top waiver, top waiver pickup. He's not like an insane talent. His comparable on player profile is Ronald Jones. So, you know, I'm not all over that, but no, that's an insult to Ronald Jones. Come on. Now. Hey, I, I'm just telling you what the measurables say, uh, but only 23 years old. He's, <laughs> he's about to hit his age prime. So, um, look, I, I like Miles Gaskin, but number two, you said Jeff Wilson. It is the number two for me as well. It's short term. But we look at the injury to Mostert. He should be out a couple more weeks, Steph. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Looks like Tevin Coleman is going to be out a little while longer as well. And Jarek McKinnon got banged up in this game. It's a rib injury. And we saw Jeff Wilson come out and score two touchdowns. You know, it's it's a real shame because I had a deep shot of the week last week that got cut <laughs> out because my audio went off at the end of the podcast. Not making this up. Sure enough, it was Jeff Wilson as a deep shot. I can't take a victory lap on it. Um, because it didn't get released, but you know, between me and you, Steph, we all know I hit on that on that deep shot last week with Jeff Wilson. But look, it's this 49ers offense. It's a short-term solution because it is only an opportunity based on the injuries to the other guys. But if he's the lead back in this in this backfield in terms of carries, in terms of touches, and he's getting the goal line work and getting the touchdowns, this is an elite 49ers run scheme. We know what Kyle Shanahan can do on the ground with his running back. So look, Jeff Wilson. It might only be a couple weeks, but if you pick him up, I think he's a serviceable RB2 if you've had some injuries and some players go down. Not to get too far away from kind of ranking these four running backs, but another guy that's interesting if Jarek McKinnon is out is Jamichael Hasty. He got in at the end of the game, had two rushing Whoa, attempts. That's deep. It's deep, but I mean, you look at the the running backs here, essentially it's we know there's it's going to be a 1A, 1B situation. First it was Mostert McKinnon, then it was Mostert Coleman, then it was... McKinnon Wilson and now it looks like it's going to be Wilson hasty if McKinnon is out so keep your eyes on that could be a deep spot start that you could plug in there uh, as we approach week four last two guys Burkhead Brian Hill I'm not interested in Brian Hill unless you know you just want a, a handcuff to Todd Gurley I mean he had the touchdown in that game but this Falcons running back situation just looks nasty to me right now I'm, I'm kind of trying to avoid it at all costs and Burkhead has, you know, it's interesting in the short term. He's getting the targets, which is interesting. I mean, week one didn't see any. Last two games with James White out, saw six targets and then 10 targets. So to me, this is another one where if James White comes back into the fold, we expect Damian Harris back here in a couple of weeks as well. I don't know that there's going to be enough for Rex Burkhead in a running back room that's going to have Burkhead, Sony Michelle, James White, and, Dam and Damian Harris all while having Cam Newton as a threat for touchdowns inside the five. So I'm avoiding Burkhead. If James White misses another game, Damian Harris is out this week as well against the Chiefs. Should be a high-volume game. They should need to throw the ball a ton. If those two guys miss, I'm fine to, to pick up Burkhead and maybe start him as an RB2 or a flex. But just in terms of long-term you know, long solutions at the running back position, I'm kind of avoiding. I don't even know if he's going to be valuable this week, but we'll see. He's someone they've been trusting here for the past few years. Um, always finds a way into the end zone, it seems like. So Rex Burkhead is nothing but a desperation pickup in an incredibly deep league. Burkhead is... Goathead. <laughs> what Sexy Rexy gave us in week three is exactly why I liked James White. 
uh, all offseason, why I was taking him in a lot of drafts as my running back three or running back four and feeling really good about it because he saw 10 targets in this game, game and caught seven of them and also had a touchdown as well. When James White comes back, this is why I really like him. So if you are a James White owner, don't drop him just because he's out. Uh, I think he'll be back relatively soon. Just hold him. And then when he comes back, essentially you can get what we saw from Rex Burkhead, this 35 point. I don't think three touchdowns a week is anything we should expect, especially from Burkhead, uh, Michelle, White, any of these running backs. But he should be solid. But yeah, you're going to get a high floor. Um, You should see, I mean, 10 to 20 points a week from James White once he's back. And the pass-catching options in New England are brutal. If Julian Edelman doesn't have a pop game, which it seems like he's he's kind of every other week, he's going to have a pop game. <laughs> in week four, they're up against Kansas City, so I'm probably plugging Edelman in there everywhere I can. Uh, but in you know some of these matchups, especially as we get into bye weeks, more injuries, uh, James White and, by extension, Rex Burkhead in deeper leagues um, are worth a spot on your bench or even a start. I agree. I agree with that 100%, Steph. But I think that does it for today's show. A quick little recap there of week three, some waiver wire options here. Moving into week four, I know we're going to be back later this week with um, some hot storylines going into week four. We're going to do some flex start sits. And then also, as usual, our starts of the week and our deep shots of the week. So look for that pod coming later this week as well. Steph, anything else you want to add here today before we sign off? All I need to say is... Nick Foles is back, Gronk is back, and it's happening. (laughs) NFL going into week four, and tonight we get the Monday night game so hyped. If you want to see us break down that Ravens Chiefs showdown, go check that out on our channel. But thank you all so much for listening and watching. If you like the show, please give us a sub. That is huge for us right now, making a push. Uh, And then a like is always appreciated to get those algorithms pumping. Let's get some dubs. But uh, as always, hit us with those start sit questions down in the comments, trade questions, waiver advice. We'll try to get to all those. I'm going to see you all next time. Peace. Peace.